Please turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, we will be looking at the four, first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16, and then we'll spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians looking at 9, chapter 9, verses 5 to the end of the chapter. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about giving. That's because that's what comes next in the, in the letter. That's one of the nice things about expository preaching, is, is that Paul gets to tell me when to talk to you about giving. Uh, actually, I think Grace is a very generous church, and, and, and you are great givers. I don't personally know what anybody gives. That's one of my own policies. I think Jonathan also followed that before me. Uh, but at the same time, we can all be challenged by giving, and what does it mean to give, and, and what does it look like to be generous with our, our finances and our, and our resources. What's interesting about this, these verses, especially in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been uh, really dealing with a messy congregation. We have one last sermon next week, and then we'll be done with this letter, but I've said it every week. They are messy. And yet, you get to the very closing chapter, and he has confidence that they're going to give. He tells them, collect the money. We're going to read in a second. Collect the money, and, and I'll be there to get it, and we'll have people that are accredited to take it for you. And so, as we look at this passage, I think we're going to see, I hope, uh, a little bit more about how the gospel motivates us to be cheerful givers. So, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll flip over to chapter 9. If you are using your phone, I would recommend just getting over to 9. 2 Corinthians 9, I'll read these four verses, just listen. Because phones, as great as they are, it's very difficult to move within Bible books. So, just FYI. So, here are the first four verses from chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And then moving over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, on ahead to you, and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgivings to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you 
because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us all things that we need. Teach us to rest more in you and less in our things. Teach us to be cheerful givers. Amen. So, money is a tough topic. Uh, it, it's discussed everywhere, is it not? I mean, everything's about how much do you make, how do you make more money, uh, what are good investments, what are good things to spend it on, commercials are getting you to spend your money. But when, it, when you start talking about personal things, it changes a little bit, right? It would be very unusual if at the greeting time someone walked up and said, you know, hey, Steve, what do you earn a year? That's not appropriate. Plus, Steve doesn't go here. So, um, sorry, you got to throw. No one knows my humor yet out there. Come on, there's no Steve. Money is tricky because, in one sense, we use it to justify our success, don't we? And, and I think as Christians, sometimes what we do is we treat it like one aspect of our spirituality. It's I, you know, I read my Bible and I do these things, and also I tithe or I give this amount. In the Bible, it's tied to your spirituality. That is, your view of generosity really shows your Christian character in the same way that your speech shows your character, right? If I said, you know, this is one of the nicest people I've ever met, but he cusses like a sailor. I mean, you, you'd like, what? Like, that doesn't work, right? He, he ridicules people, he tears me down, and he cusses, but he's the nicest guy I've ever met. Huh? In the same way... Uh, to be a Christian means to be generous. That's what we're going to look at this morning. If you want to grow in your spirituality, you have to learn to put your wealth into God's hands. Okay? So we're going to look at three things. The need for generosity, the impact of generosity, and then the motivation for generosity. By the way, I just want to make this little... I remember in seminary, uh, there was a class. This one point just sticks out. Sometimes you're going to come to passages that you have to preach you haven't figured it out yourself. So this is one. Okay, I'm with you. We're all going to work together on becoming more generous. Okay, so the need for generosity. Uh, Paul is writing about a very specific issue, especially, well, both, both of these uh, chapters, 16 of chapter of 1 Corinthians and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians are the same issue. They just, the first letter asks them to get it ready. The second letter says, I'm coming to collect. And the issue is this. In Jerusalem, there was a famine. And they had a particular need. So it's important that we understand that. There is an absolute specific need for the generosity he was calling for. He wasn't just saying give money so we just have money. It was we want to take the the generosity and apply it to a particular need. There was a specific famine, but when Paul set out to plant churches, um, I don't know if you remember in Galatians, he's explaining the process of going to to Jerusalem and being uh, commissioned to preach, right? And to go and be an apostle. And one of the tags was, uh, that the, uh, Peter had asked him was, don't forget the poor. And Paul said, that's the very thing I was eager to do. In other words, for Paul, he saw his ministry of planting churches almost, I think, the reversal of how we do it now. Now we have like the big mother church and we send out into other areas around the world. For them, Jerusalem was poor. And then they were going into places like Corinth, which was wealthy. And Paul knew that when the gospel would go to Corinth or places like this, people that were converted would change. And they'd actually want to send their money to help the poor and the needy. 
I just got a glimpse of uh, Alex back there. She's probably like, I came in the perfect week. Yes! Sorry, just an aside. Generosity, requ- uh, generosity is needed, right? We know that. Th- that sounds obvious. But let me explain another need of generosity for the giver. You and I were made to be generous. That's how we were made. Remember, when we come to the scripture and we read things like prescriptive things, sometimes we want to say, oh, Paul's trying to get me to change who I am. Rather, what, what I would hope we would see is Paul is revealing the way you were made before the fall. We were made to be generous. We were made to share. Okay? That's how human beings are made. It's what, it's, it's what connects you to other people. Have you ever opened the freezer and saw ice cream, but there was just enough for one person? And yet in that living room was another person, like a spouse, a child. What do you do? Right? What do you do? Come on. Nobody just walks out and eats it. And let you either, if you do, you, you make an excuse like, I mean, you had more than me yesterday. I didn't have my fair share, so now I'm going to eat mine or something, right? But rarely do you cut it in half perfectly and bring the other person, right? There's something in us that knows that's expected. We just don't want to do it, right? So there's a problem in our generosity, but the reality is we need it to feel completed. We don't even want to be, you know, elementary schools. You can't invite three kids to the party, right? You've got to have everybody has to get an invite. We, we get that instinctively. It's needed. Um, but, it, but more importantly, I want to make sure we understand before we move into this, it completes you. It, it's not just helpful for the church. It's not just going to be great for Jerusalem when the Corinthians give. It's going to sanctify the Corinthians. And it sanctifies you and I to be generous with our resources. So, let's move on to the impact of generosity. There is an impact. Um, first of all, one of the number one things that generosity does is it, remind, it tells the world that Christians see people as both physical and spiritual beings. Both and, right? Throughout history, especially the last century, you would see the church often erring on one side or the other, either only dealing with spiritual needs, right, and sharing the gospel and going into missions, or their missions were focused on only physical. But we know that neither one by themselves is good enough. Right? You need to heal the whole person. If you go to a physician, uh, they will tell you, when, when you start describing issues, more and more lady, lately they will ask you questions beyond just symptoms and just family history. They'll actually maybe even dive into psychological questions. Uh, Several of us went to a documentary recently uh, talking about poverty, citing a study called the ACE study. And in this study, um, they discovered, and and various others like it, that people who are in poverty often have come from trauma. And so they they developed a list of 10 questions you can go through and score yourself. And often the people who score in, say, three or four or five of these, of these items are not only in poverty, but the, they started in the documentary just showing all the other ailments they started tying it to. Health issues. Except, I mean, I, I won't name them all. They, almost everything you could think of would be tied. Cancer. I mean, there's so many things coming from trauma. And yet it's very tempting to go, oh, this person has this issue. Let's give them this. And what that documentary was showing is to help poverty, and Dave talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, if we want to help the poor in Stillwater, it's going to be both physically and spiritually to come alongside and help. And, and generosity will absolutely impact people's lives if we do that. 
Um, this is what made Christianity spread like wildfire through, you know, if you think about the, the success of Christianity in Rome, I mean, when, when the letter to the Corinthians is written, from there till 300, right, it went through quite a bit. It went from nothing to a sect that was martyred and kind of this annoying thing to the state religion. There was a letter um, written to Diognetus. How did I do on that? What? I have my, my resident scholar in the back. Anyway, it's a, it's a letter written around 130 A.D., uh, so it's not an apostle. And, and the writer of the letter, uh, scholars aren't sure who it is. There's some theories that it's Justin Martyr. Um, but the, the letter is explaining to a non-Christian why Christianity is so powerful. Listen to some of the things he says. He starts off by explaining the Christians, the way they, the way they inhabit their, their, the land, that is, where they're from, is very different. He says, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as foreigners. Um, he talks about how they dwell in their own country, but simply as sojourners. He says, every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. You hear that? The mystery of the gospel working in, their, in a Christian's life, especially at this time, was you didn't just go around saying, you know, boomer sooner, right? You go in and say, I love OSU. And then you all, what do you all say back to me? I love OU. I must hear it. Okay, next time. They marry, as do all, but they beget children and they don't destroy their offspring. So, no racism. No killing of their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. That was the sexual revolution at the time. We, we think of the 1960s and 70s as a sexual revolution. Listen, that was nothing. That was normal in Rome, in the Roman Empire. And then the Christians come along, and they're like, no, one spouse. That's it. And that was a revolution, and it spreads like wildfire. And then finally it says, he adds, they are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. And, it, and he goes on to explain, and this letter shows that the church was known, among other things, amongst other things, to be highly, highly generous. And that spread like wildfire, and the impact of that is huge. Are we generous? Are we moved by that? Is that something that we want to become? I thought it was fascinating. The four things, I'm just going to reiterate them, and then we'll move into the next point. Their view of racism in that letter was different, right? It wasn't, I'm a Greek or I'm a Jew. It's, I'm a Christian, and therefore I'll become more like you to win you, right? The view of life, the, the sanctity of life, the view of the Christian, the, their view of sexuality, and finally their view of, of generosity and items. What makes generosity so hard then for all of us? What makes it hard? We are, I find, deathly afraid of letting go of our stuff, right? Because our, if we do, it's like we're, we, I think there's a real fear that will just absolutely fall apart and crumble to the ground. So the third point we're going to focus on for a few minutes is the motivation for generosity. In chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, we see the first motivation is creation. Look at verse 10. He says, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God 
made you. Right? We don't, we don't really think that. I mean, I think we, we believe that as Christians, but we really do, you know, Yogi Berra's famous quote, uh, you're born on third base thinking you hit a triple. Um, we live like that. I remember LeBron James is the best example. Love the guy. He is my favorite, other than Westbrook, favorite basketball player uh, playing still. But sometimes when he's interviewed, you want to say, you know you're six foot ten. Like, you know, he's like, it's so hard. I'm going to carry my team. It's, you know, I've got to do this and do that. Like, he's kind of battling this out. And I want to just go, LeBron, you're six foot ten. Like, if I were built like you, I would be pretty good, you know? You're playing, a, you are born at a time in human history where you being six foot ten with a rubber ball in your hand, you're like, yeah, I get to put it in that basket over that short person? Okay, you know, this is, and I get paid a billion dollars to do this. Like, that's a blessing. Don't think it's all because of you, right? A little humility, uh, a little, uh, I think basketball should change, by the way. Eventually, you know, the short guy runs up, the goal should drop. I think technology will get there. And then the tall guy goes in, it goes up really high. That would be fair. That would be cool. Anyway. Or you see the you know, models. You know, models, bless their heart. If you're a model, we, we're for you. But I want to say, you did nothing. You came out of your mother. And you're beautiful. And that's great for you. You have about a decade. Really enjoy yourself. But quit taking all the credit. Okay. So, that's my rant. Do you have that same, that sounds ridiculous, but how do you view your stuff? Do you understand what country you were born into? What time of human history? And the ways God blesses you? And we really do, we take all the credit. Of course we're involved. Of course the, the sower has to sow the seed and be obedient. But God is the one who gives you everything. Let us not be like the rich fool. Remember the rich fool who, uh, upon getting like ample crops more than ever, tears down the old storage, builds new storage containers for his stuff, puts it in there, and what happens next? He dies. Now, it wasn't for, as punishment. I don't think that's the point of Jesus' parable. Rather, it's to say something that we do with our wealth is we think we're going to live forever. And we hold on to it like that's going to happen. And he was a fool precisely because he didn't recognize God had brought that beauty, that, the bounty, and now his job would be to enjoy it, but also share it, right? Okay, creation. How about redemption? That's another motivation, the redemption that we have in Christ. One of the most stunning verses is in uh, 13 in chapter 9. By their approval of this service, he's referring to those that receive the gifts. They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's a lot of words. It's easy when you read your Bible just to like, you know, you kind of read over that. Really pick it apart. Look at it again. What are they rejoicing about? They've received a gift from the Corinthians, and they're excited, but here's what they're rejoicing over. That the Corinthians submitted and, con and confessed the gospel of Christ. That the Corinthians became followers of Christ by his gospel. Earlier in chapter 8, we didn't read it, Paul says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So the question before you and I is this. 
what do you think Jesus did to rescue you? Right? What do you, are you sort of struggling with the thought that he had to die for you? Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. I heard an illustration. Uh, it goes something like this. If, if you found out on Monday you go to the doctor, and the doctor comes out and says, look, we've done a test, and you have one month to live. And you won't show any symptoms for about a week or two. But you have a month to live. And there is a medication that will save you. But that medication is going to cost you all of your stuff. Like, it's that expensive. And I think even make it better. Let's pretend you have, like, your, what's your, just in your mind, think your favorite thing. Is it a, an heirloom? Is it a painting? Is it a car? Whatever that thing is, you have to get rid of it in order to get this medicine, right? All of us, without even blinking an eye, would do what? Sold. Let's go, right? I want it. That item would become rubbish because now we have life. We were just told we were going to die and all of a sudden, we're going to live. And the thing that we thought was so amazing and wealthy is, is rubbish. And now life that we take, take for granted is everything. Right? And so when Jesus comes and says, I'm rescuing you, you are dying. And I'm going to now die and make you rich. That exchange is what gives you motivation to be generous. Because all of a sudden, none of this stuff matters. And when I live as if this stuff in my life is what gives me my meaning, and that's what I'm after, then I'm necessarily lowering my view of what Christ has done for me to rescue me. Right? Generosity is radical because it, re- it reveals my view of the gospel. It, re- it reveals how I believe Jesus saved me. Right? Now that doesn't mean that, okay, well now I'll start giving more so I can prove. That's not the point. The point is, and I struggle. Like, I have things I love. Can I give them away? I mean, I really love that last serving of ice cream, right? Can I give that away? I had to make it easy. I can give that away. I can't give the other stuff away. But I want to lessen my grip on the material world. So what would that look like if you began to live like that? The motivations of creation, God, is your, he made you, he supplies everything. The motivation of redemption, Jesus rescued you. There's another motivation in this passage. Uh, it's the health and wealth message. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Right? You will be enriched if you give. Some folks come from a background where you were told the more you give, the more you get. Right? That's not what, that's not what Paul teaches. Right? We don't believe in that. It's possible, and I'll explain why in a second, but let me make, it's not, you know, you get that email from Africa that's like, you get a million dollars. Unfortunately, I need about 10 grand from you. And then you'll get your million, right? That's kind of where a lot of churches take tithing, isn't it? We need about 10 grand, and then later God will just pour his blessing out on you, right? That's not what we're talking about. But when you let go of your stuff a little bit and begin to be generous, I think your life will flourish, Right? Think about, again, the rich fool. Had he, when he had that bounty, raised the pay, maybe the workers would stay longer and not be migrant workers, right? Maybe instead of building new storage sheds, he builds them homes to live in. And they're, they're happier. And they're better employees. That's not his motivation, but generosity certainly is going to lead to blessing and flourishing, is it not? And so that is a motivation. And when you take these, these three items together, the blessing that it leads to, that God created you, it's not your stuff, 
and the middle one being the redemption in Jesus, that really drives you, you will become more and more generous. Um, I, I had this image in my head. My dad has begun to speak more about Vietnam, and I love to hear his stories. And uh, he was a Huey uh, Cobra pilot, and they would go on, they would sort of defend the large helicopter, the Chinook, that would land and pick up people who were hurt and fly away. And there was one time where they, they, they landed in the, in, they were under fire, and so the person that jumped onto the cord had to be like dragged away behind it. And he remembers watching this happen. So it's leaving the marsh or whatever under enemy fire, and the guy's just holding on for dear life. But he was rescued. That's what generosity is. It's, okay, it's not going to be sitting comfortably in the Chinook, belted in, hearing about what to do if you need to use the restroom, and pilot, getting the pilot's credentials, and taking off in five minutes when the air clears. It's jump on, we're going. But what you're being taken away from is the enemy fire of this world that's after you. Like, if you want to just hold on to your stuff, just stand there and be shot at. That's what's, that's what's coming. Right? But if you rest in Christ, you believe that He's rescued you, and, and you want Him, I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a crazy rescue. For all, for all of us, it's going to be different. Life would look different if we began to give generously like that. Because it would, it would feel crazy. But I want, to, I want that image in your mind because what you're leaving behind is not what you thought. Does that make sense? I was listening to, um, actually, Tim Keller gave this advice to his congregation, so it's going to sound harsh, but it's Tim Keller. Okay? It's not me. Okay. He says this. He says if this idea of giving 10% sounds extreme, well, first of all, he doesn't say this. I want to say something first. A lot of people think the New Testament, you know, the Old Testament was strict. It was law. Doug's like, no, Old Testament was easy. Love the Old Testament. Sorry. Love it. The New Testament's freedom. Law lowered, right? I'm leading you into a false thought. So 10% Old Testament, New Testament, you know, whatever, 1%, 2%. We're in the element of grace now, right? And then you go to Pentecost. And you go, okay, here are all these Jews who, who give way more than 10% because we were talking. Like, when you look at the whole tithe of the Old Testament, it's a lot more than 10%. And then they hear the gospel message, receive the Holy Spirit. What do they do? They give everything away. Right? In Acts 2. They begin to share with each other any and every resource. They're, they're selling land and giving the proceeds away without compulsion, except for one couple. And so you have this sense of which when the Lord meets you and when you walk with him, you actually will give more than 10%. Like, not that you have to count it out, but I'm just, when you look at your total generosity, that will seem like nothing. And what Keller says, come back to that point, is if that sounds unreasonable, then you really ought to look at how much do you know that Jesus that rescued you. Like, that's a diagnostic. If I don't want to give, and that sounds unreasonable, and it makes me kind of mad. Maybe I should start to ask, what do I think he gave for me? But the good news, for a lot of you, it sounds reasonable. But you're like, how do I do this? How do I do it, right? Some, of, some people, it's just, it's, there's a gift. There really is. But for a lot of us, it's reasonable. But how do you get there? This is the harshest thing he says. Ready? If you went to work tomorrow, and they cut your pay by 10%, and there were no other jobs, 
You would do it, wouldn't you? You would keep your job. It would just be uncomfortable. You would grumble a little bit. He says, so cut your pay by 10%. I'm smiling because it's not really what you have to do. And then you'll grumble, but here's what he says. It's kind of funny. You'll be an automatic philanthropist. Like all of a sudden, you're, you're a giver. You know, you're the guy at the end of NPR and all these programs that gives the foundations that give. You're a philanthropist. Okay, maybe it's not 10%. Maybe if you don't give it all, it's 1%. It's 2%. Maybe that's a huge stretch for you. Also, you don't have to give everything to this church. I'm not making a pitch for my salary, okay? That's not how it works. It's about giving the funds to God for his mission. But the most important thing is, and I really, really, really hope this will be your takeaway. Being generous is for your own soul more than it is for those who you give to. Does that make sense? So if that sounds challenging and you're not sure what to do with it, that's okay. I think that's what Christianity looks like, wrestling with how to live out the truths of Scripture. And I think if nothing else, you just went to him in prayer, even once or twice and said, Jesus, show me how to be more generous. This would be a successful sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the most generous. You made us, though we did not deserve being created, for your glory, Lord. And when we, ran, when we fell, you redeemed us through your Son, who though was rich, you made him poor, dying on a cross. And now, Lord, he raises us up, and we sit with him at your right hand. We are now so wealthy that all of the things on earth that we have are gifts from you, but they do not define us. And I pray that Grace Presbyterian Church would be known as a church that is generous with each other, with those in Stillwater, with missionaries around the world. Um, Father, for the advancement of your kingdom and for your glory. Amen.